Honey, I'm thirsty. There you go, honey. When I said I was thirsty, it doesn't mean I want you to bring me a glass of water. Doesn't? You're missing the whole point of me saying I'm thirsty. See, if I'm thirsty, I don't want you to bring me a glass of water. I want you to sympathize. I want you to say, Gloria, I too know what it feels like to be thirsty. Maybe you can hum the theme song. Won't hold it against you if you get parts wrong. While the memory's not too strong, there's a piece of you from a time long gone. So while these fuzzy warm feelings remain, the question we ask is still the same. Did a treasure or just plain lame? Is this still good? Hello and welcome to another episode of Is This Still Good? I'm your host, Gavin. Uh, with me potentially is the sorriest excuse for a uh, duo on the court. Sage, would you like to introduce yourself? Oh yeah, hey, I'm Shut I'm, the I'm fuck Sage. up! <laughs> okay, okay. Um, well... Shut uh, up. <laughs> Uh, we start every podcast with Gavin berating me. It just usually happens before anyone clicks record. Uh, Gavin, I see, I see someone on the side of the court just kind of giving me, giving me nasty eyes. Dude, hey, he's wearing gray socks. Look at him. Hey, he's chump, <laughs> come over here. Yes, yeah, so don't point at yourself. This is an audio medium. <laughs> Hello, I'm I'm Billy Hoyle. That means wow. nothing to me. You look like you're bad at basketball because of your skin color. This is true. Would you like to play? Yes, but only for money. No, what's your name? Um, I'm Pat. I am here to play basketball. Oh, oh, hello, Pat. It's very nice well, to cordially meet you in this gentlemanly <laughs> game of basketball. Uh, I would be, be pleased to play uh, just for the fun and love of the game. I would be pleased to play as well. Thank you, sir, for your invitation to play the game of basketball. This is feeling Indubitably. a lot more like a weird Jeopardy intro than a basketball court intro by now. None of us have insulted each other's moms, and I, I don't even know why we're here anymore if it's just cordial. Look, uh, Gavin, um, I watched your mom watch uh, 60 Minutes once, and it took her two hours. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I somehow did not stock up on your mama jokes before this podcast, and I feel embarrassed flushed well i insulted. did i love my mom <laughs> on your mama jokes uh by watching a little movie called white men can't jump <laughs> that's the movie we're talking about today okay i was about to ask why what why we're even here today what what kind of podcast is this and what are we doing well, I'm trying to get past the part where we go like 10 minutes without saying the movie title like we did our last four shows. Fair. Um, but this is a, a podcast called Is This Still Good? Uh, where we look at misremembered uh, treasures of our childhood and try to figure out if they are in fact uh, treasures or if they are just uh, rusted over at the bottom of the ocean that have no resale value. And we don't do this alone. No, we bring on off the bench... Uh, self-proclaimed experts in general who really think highly in trash talk down to us and our negligence about these movies often. Um, and that's what brings our us back here. <laughs> so, I mean, there's probably a better word for it. I don't know. Um, it's not but yeah, completely that's why... wrong, but it's mostly wrong. Our ignorance? <laughs> sure. Our pedestrian views? I, that, that, that sounds correct, yes. But that's yeah. why, Pat, you're here and you've brought uh white men can't jump 
And I just would like to know first a little bit about who you are and why you chose this movie. <laughs> yeah, so I'm Pat, um, Pat Alexander, also known as Callie Pat. Um, I'm a writer and editor for Ranker.com, where I blog on our film vertical, in addition to writing about sports and cryptocurrency, two of my interests. Um, I've been a film critic since about 2015, when I launched a Twitter account called Film Review 365, where I would watch, you guessed it, 365 movies a year, uh, and drop a fun tweet about them daily. So I kind of <laughs> pioneered film shitposting in that way. Um, so that's my claim to fame. Um, I am a screenwriter out here in Los Angeles and producer. Um, and I do a little bit of directing for fun as well. So I've been foraying into the film production sphere for five or so years. Um, I have my own script consulting company called Script Genius, where people, companies pay me to script doctor, punch up, rewrite, what have you. Um, so that's me, Hire Pat. Um, I am here because through my producing, I was lucky enough to meet our gracious host, Gavin. We worked together on a short film in 2019 that I produced, and Gavin was the director of photography. Um, I didn't hire Gavin. We were brought in by the director for our unique skill sets yeah, to add to the if, film. If, if, if correctly, you actively rallied against me and insulted my mother, which... Yeah, for most of the production. All right, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Yes, and so through our shared Yo Mama insulting, um, I just gained the utmost respect for Gavin and appreciation for his quite serene nature. Um, and so that's how we became pals. And I'm excited to talk about this movie with y'all today. So that's me. Yeah, so was this one of a 365 movies that you like have already when was the last time you watched this movie before this most recent rewatch? Now you watched this 365 days in a row. <laughs> Did I get that's, that right? Yes, that's how I got my start in the film writing business was just watching this movie over and over <laughs> and bringing new things to the table every day. That would make you uniquely qualified to talk about it on a podcast. Exactly. I do actually have a friend who wrote a blog uh, where he just watched Southland Tales once a week, and it's 52 different reviews of Southland Tales, and uh, I don't think he's really been the same since. We should have him on to talk about Southland Tales. Though. Yeah, that sounds terrifying. But White Man Can't Jump. Um, why did I pick this movie? I love sports movies. Um I'm a bit of a sports guy. I watched a lot of sports movies as a kid. I lived in one of those PG households where my parents didn't okay, want yeah. my brother and I watching like crazy movies. But sports your were household fair... had parental guidance. Yes, yes, exactly. But sports movies are fair game for the most part. And even though this one's rated R, it I was snuck into say, rotation. A lot of side boob in this movie. Yeah, it snuck and into rotation boob. at some point in the early aughts when my brother was in control of the Netflix DVD queue. So I saw it probably for the first time as a preteen, early teenager, uh, and just loved it. It's a macho, trash-talking, dick-measuring contest of a movie that, at its core, has a sweet message about brotherly love and sort of love being an action verb. And for that reason, I was touched at the prospects of rewatching to see if it was still good. Wow. Well, you came was... to the right place. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so heartfelt. Uh, Sage, what, did you have much acquaintance with this movie beforehand? So I think of this like through a different venue. I uh, I was 
big into Wesley Snipes at one point. Sure. Um, well, until he disappeared, I was I was I was big into him. So I have I was looking through his IMDb today, and like there's only like two movies from the '90s of his that I haven't seen. And to be fair, I've also never heard of them. <laughs> Um, so I watched this movie and another movie that he did with Woody Harrelson called Money Train that I remember even less of, except that one of the guys <laughs> killed his wife in real life. <laughs> and I think, uh, Jennifer, uh, Lopez also has side and front boob in that movie. Pro, -pro tip. I'm going to cut that part. You know, <laughs> people don't need a people don't need a Mr. Skin this podcast. That's right. Welcome to Mr. Skin the podcast. Yep. 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 <laughs> Wait, so you love Wesley Snipes. I love Wesley Snipes, okay. absolutely. Uh, Woody, Woody Harrelson's fine. I think it's weird that they've done two movies together. Actually, three, Wildcats. Uh, yeah, I didn't remember a lot about this movie. I remembered it being like a, like a hustle movie, a con movie, and it is to, to a certain extent. Um, yeah, no, this was a much different watch this time than when I was mm -hmm. a preteen or whenever I saw it. I remember liking this movie as a kid. I had fond memories of it. Uh, but I also had not thought about it between when I saw it and when I got the pitch for to do an episode on it. Yeah, I I was trying to think back. I know but I'd seen it before. This movie definitely exists. <laughs> and I remembered it being a romantic comedy, uh, which it's it's kind of not. Um, no, I think you, like Pat, you explained what it was very well. Like it's it's a it's a weird. You know, this is a movie from the early 90s where two men who've met like two weeks ago do tell each other they love each other in like a non-sarcastic way, I would argue. So like, yeah, it is it is an impressive version of like friendship and male bonding, um, I guess, for the time. But uh, it does not end happily romantically for our, our, our lead, lead boy, Woody Harrelson. So I was pretty off the mark on my memory of it. Yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of mis misremembering. Uh, also, much different than the other basketball movies I watched and treasured in the in the '90s, like uh, Space Jam and Air Bud and uh, Love and Basketball. <laughs> the Sixth Man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is again like '92, so I'm three, I think, at the time that this comes out. I definitely wasn't watching it at that age, but uh, this is like, you know, there's there's an MJ jersey up early. We see a lot of Lakers jerseys, so. Who here wants to attempt tackling the uh, summary of this movie? Sage? Hey, Chump. <laughs> Chump, get over here. I want you to summarize this movie. <laughs> you don't have to, but but someone should. Sage, do you want to give it a go? I really don't. Can you not tell? <laughs> <laughs> this is a hard movie to break down and describe just because it is... Almost like I feel like it's an early version of Mumblecore where not a lot really happens. It's a bunch of people taking small glances at themselves and making minute character changes. Um, but yeah, I'll give it a try. Okay. All right. We start. Woody Harrelson, lone white boy, dressed kind of goofy, walking through Venice Beach. Approaches, uh, finds a basketball court and sets up camp. Just sits there on the sidelines looking kind of goofy. Eventually he's called in. And he sharks a bunch of people by playing basketball really well while uh, kind of self-berating and not really starting shit. After he wins some money while off... While being white. While being white. Uh, after he wins some money off of a showbo showboating Wesley Snipes, uh, the two... He, Wesley Snipes follows him back to his house 
uh, not not with a threat, but with a proposition. They go on to play more games for money until Wesley Snipe turns on him, takes his money in a sneaky by sneakily throwing a basketball game. Then their wife and girlfriend, respectively, make them make amends and play in a doubles basketball tournament, which they win a bunch of money. Woody Harrelson immediately surrenders it uh, after his ability to dunk is questioned by Wesley Snipes, missing a missing thrice attempting to do a slam dunk. Um, they find themselves on the outs again. Woody Harrelson now further on the outs with his girlfriend. Um, and they have to play more basketball. And then one of them is able to buy a house and the other is now single, but ready to grow as a person and maybe realize that basketball isn't always the answer. And that's white men can't jump. Dang, that was good. I can summarize (laughs) it in one sentence. Okay, please. It's about two people hanging on to their livelihoods by the skin of their teeth and learning that even though they don't like each other that much, they can use each other to make money. Wow, that, and the climax, that is darker. I'm, I'm not going to accept a said summary that doesn't have the word basketball in it. Well, and the climax is that is a game of Jeopardy. So fit that in where you will. That is true. I forgot to mention that Rosie Perez uh, is a Jeopardy champion, um, <laughs> which is, I would argue, not telegraphed early on in the film. There's no part of me that I... Uh, I she's for- been studying just a... No, no. She believes she's going to get on to Jeopardy. <laughs> she believes she's destined to win De- Jeopardy and spends her life yes. in the manner of one who would compete and actually winds up getting her shot. It's it's as if you had a and thread. And unlike Woody Nelson trying to dunk doesn't miss. <laughs> it's as if you had a thread where someone was just constantly buying lottery tickets and then near the end they won. <laughs> yeah. In terms of the likelihood of just getting on Jeopardy, because she's just waiting for a call. It's not clear if she's on a list or. I mean, I don't know how one gets on Jeopardy. No, uh, Pat, how you've been does on Jeopardy, Jeopardy right? Work? Yeah, I've been on it three times. Um, wow. I had that run June of 2017, where I really took Ken Jennings. Um, I took him for all he's worth. Uh, but yeah, usually you get a call from a guy, uh, meet him in a van out back, uh, they take you to the desert. Uh, bag over your head, hands tied, cuffed. Um, they take the hood off. Alex Trebek is there, and he's standing, and he says, "Do you have what it takes to be on Jeopardy?" And you, you either answer yes or no. And if if you've survived that long, I'm they surprised they left on. that out of the movie. That sounds <laughs> fascinating. That Key sounds like a point. like a much better movie. <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect, I would say that about every movie I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> well I, so yeah so pat you've explained a little bit about why you chose this movie um do you remember any specifics that like you got to revisit that like really came into focus like what was the did this measure up like in terms of the tone was this the movie you kind of remembered it was different than i remembered um from a story standpoint i actually felt white man can't jump is quite a smart film much smarter than i i remembered um, from watching it as a teenager, um, amidst like this sea of seemingly lowbrow yo mama humor, is an incredibly cerebral commentary on poverty and what it's like to be a person who continually finds themselves with their backs against the wall. Um, and this is kind of represented through the paradox of Billy. Like when he wins, life is all good, 
until he gambles it again and possibly loses. And when he loses, he feels the walls are closing in um, and add in his $7,000 debt to the Stucci right. brothers, some rather unsavory characters, um, and his issue multiplies. Um, and just with his refusal to get a job, um, and Gloria too focused on Jeopardy to do so either. These are just two people that are never able to get their heads above water because they're entirely complacent with how their lives are. And they know they can't sustain this lifestyle, but they just get caught up in all the distractions of life rather than helping each other shape up and holding themselves accountable. And so from that like point of view, this just struck me as a much deeper film than I remembered initially. Yeah, the relationships on display in this movie are much stranger than I remembered, for sure. Uh, I still... Like, you're rooting for Rosie Perez and uh, Billy, but, like, I'm not sure why, because, like, they, their relationship seems kind of awful from the get-go. Like, they do care each o- about each other, but, like, yeah, there's no... I don't know if, like, there's support there. There's clearly love and lust, but, like, it's it's... Everyone in this movie has a weird relationship, I feel like. Even auxiliary characters. I mean, there's a moment yeah. when that guy just takes a diamond necklace that he gave to his girlfriend so he can gamble it on a game of pickup basketball. Oh, man. It's just tragic. Yeah, like, what? Who the fuck are these people? Uh, Although, granted, he right knew before... it was fixed. <laughs> yeah. My my later. favorite moment in this film that I, I think the film does a lot of a lot of things like this very well is uh, when the guy needs $500 to bet against these hustlers. Oh, yeah. uh, and he just, like, <laughs> puts on a mask and walks to the corner store. And the guy immediately knows who it is, and he ends up just selling the gun to him. <laughs> that was a cute moment. This is a weirdly wholesome movie in a lot of ways. Like, that that being one of the prime examples, I would argue. But also egregiously not in some other ways. Well, and that scene also ends with that guy saying, I'm going to go back to my car and get my other gun and shoot <laughs> everyone here. Yeah. This this movie this movie strikes a, a weird balance and tone that I'm not... I like a lot of the stuff this movie does, but I find the pacing all over the mm-hmm. place and pretty inconsistent. There's when when you go through, as you said in the summary, like the climax is the Jeopardy. If the movie stops there, it's actually a romantic comedy. <laughs> right. They just get back together and then the movie's over. But then it becomes a character piece when I don't feel like it was that interested in getting into Woody Harrelson's flaws and head before that becomes the the center of the movie so like i felt this weird tonal and pacing disconnect towards the end i mean i'd argue it's kind of there the whole time but it, it, it is strange and part of it too is like the acting in it is feels very improv heavy which is part of the reason that like i swear they say shut the fuck up like 30 times in this movie to each other that's just like when they're pausing because they don't know where the scene's supposed to go and they have to try and remember is what it feels like. Woody Harrelson's the biggest uh, biggest example of it. I think he says it like 12 times in this movie. Yeah, they're just constantly um, Billy and Sydney telling each other to fuck off throughout this entire movie. Right. I was impressed, though, that like these two seem like they could actually play basketball pretty damn well. I was reading, like I guess they had like some, some training, and the guy was like, nah, they got it. They did some training. I will say Woody's... Or I Wesley's their shooting coach said they were they were at a division two skill level. Wow! By the end sure. of the shoot, <laughs> I will say Wesley Snipes' shooting stroke looked much smoother 
than Woody Harrelson's, just from a pure mechanic standpoint. So when right, you're rewatching is it, that, is that just part of Woody Harrelson's sharking though? Oh, that might that is a that is a fair point. But it's the He's elbow, got an ugly shot. It's the elbow. Yeah. Snipes elbow tucked in, got at that ninety degrees, and Harrelson's is a little bit more out. So, yeah, he's almost shooting with two hands. It looks like throughout most of the movie, which does look a little silly. That hook shot, except for that hook shot. The hook shot of all time. I've got nothing negative to say about like the actual basketball in this movie. I thought everything was a good time. Um, the right amount of slow motion and showboating. <laughs> no, the basketball sequences are are way better than I remembered. Quick cuts. Clean, fast movement, you know, hokey, a little hokey like 90s movies were with the fast mo into slow mo. But that's just kind of, yeah, that's kind of the nature of cinematography in sports movies. Well, and they're shooting at Venice Beach for a lot of it, which is just a pretty place with a lot of light. So you can do that slow motion super easy. Um, that's that's true we've all shot slow motion at venice beach <laughs> yeah and did i don't you, have to do anything during slow motion i can just put my mic down and sit down and did you notice the hilarious moment in the opening scene uh when woody harrelson pulls up in venice beach right off the beach and there's literally no cars around he can get a parking spot immediately i thought this was a brilliant parody of reality in that way <laughs> yeah it did look like that was like 10 10 a.m and the only people out were like a, a quartet of uh like a jazz uh acapella quartet yeah for the i believe he's there early enough that he can take a nap on the basketball court Uh, (laughs) so i don't actually know what type of day all those would light up where i mean it's definitely less crowded at 10 a.m but uh you still gotta look for parking but the nap on the basketball court if you think about that which was a very interesting sort of thought exercise in the rewatch just how this story is framed like the film opens woody harrelson goes down to the venice beach basketball courts and they're cleared out he takes, he lies down under the basket, and the movie begins with him closing his eyes and taking a nap, which possibly suggests <gasps> the following events that are he actually died. A dream. It's all a dream. It's all a I'm, dream. I'm positing another uh, cool runnings <laughs> theory. He dies peacefully in his sleep. <laughs> Jeez. So maybe this the story better. never even happened. Damn. He's so fucking late. <laughs> It's not even like his dream of what happens. It's because it ends so sad. His dream is that he loses his girlfriend in the end. Yeah, is it a dream or a nightmare? It's all his unfinished business. This is a bad reading of the film. <laughs> I just wanted to posit that thought so anyone who's stoned right now can can have out that one in their mental space. So that, how, that how... thoughts for free stoners. How did you all feel about the performances in this? Like, did you guys have some favorites? Anybody that didn't work for you? How do you all feel about Rosie Perez's accent? I really liked Billy and Sydney as foils. Rewatching this, you really get to see how strong they are when presented against each other. And it's not just because they tell each other to fuck off more than any other main characters in movie history. Like, five minutes in, they're established through two separate quotes from each character. Um, the first one is when Billy's talking to the quartet. And they say, oh, these two guys, they were the best to ever play. And Billy responds, that's because you haven't seen me. And then minutes later, Sydney drops a line, I don't mean to brag, but I'm the greatest. So like they're set up from the beginning as these yeah. diametrically opposed players in their style of play. Sydney is flashy and likes to show off how good he is. Billy is fundamentally strong and plays to win. And it all culminates in that scene where Billy has to dunk because he can't fucking do it because... Of course, white men can't jump. Um, and so, so I have heard. 
for Sydney being the best is proving it through flashy playstyle, i.e. the dunk that Billy can't make in the two-on-two tournament. But for Billy, being great is about winning, so of course he loses at Sydney's version of the game and being great. But Sydney also couldn't achieve greatness winning the $10,000 without Billy's drive to beat all their competitors. So it's just a beautiful dichotomy uh, that in a lot of ways is elevated in this movie's discussion of race and general racial expectations in regard to the sport of basketball. Yeah, it kind of clever interplay. It feels like that is going to be a much bigger part of the movie in some ways than it is. And I don't feel like I necessarily miss any parts of the conversation, but it is interesting that it kind of like brings it up a lot and then kind of kid gloves it away as they become like real friends who care about each other, which is, you know, maybe the point they're trying to make, which is kind of cool in its own way. But, you know, as three white men (laughs) talking about it, uh, I don't really have a answer or critique of it it just it did feel like it kind of brought up a lot of points and then kind of moved on from them without really necessarily addressing race too blatantly yeah right it it makes some extrapolations of what you were saying based on like their their play styles uh but it it doesn't touch too much woody woody harrelson says something in the car about like uh white people want to like win first and look good second um, and for black people, it's the other way around, uh, which is already kind of awkward to hear. I'm glad the movie didn't like go more into that. Yeah, <laughs> it was also a movie made and, and written by white people. Yeah, um, I was I was very worried rewatching this that there was actually going to be a lot more racial insight that would be uncomfortable today. I also just assumed as a sports movie in 1992, it would just be riddled with homophobia, and I actually didn't catch any. We don't have to do a gay watch section on this episode. No, like I said, I think it was actually rather progressive about i mean again like wesley snipes tells woody harrelson that he loves him like in the movie which i wasn't necessarily expecting to hear in 92 sure this i was just going to say race i felt like as a theme of this movie probably plays better today than it did Mm -hmm. back in 1992 when this was released um why what happened in 1992 i'll drop it for you back then (laughs) oh wow racial tension think about that probably felt a little bit more exploitative and nerve-wracking um because this but is not in LA, right? This well, this is a movie about race in LA, and it's this movie actually started filming one month after tensions in the city of Los Angeles began skyrocketing due to the brutal beating of a black man, Rodney King, by a group of white LAPD officers, and it was released this movie one month um, before the verdict in the trial, which led to the Rodney King riots. So today, this movie seems daringly frank especially since it isn't foregrounded by such, um, or fatal. Sure. And race isn't the center point of the movie or a big source of the drama. It's just presented now, as a casual fact. Now that you presented that to me, it feels like a conspiratorial. Well, it's like the producer just made this to try and like end. Uh, this is just anti-rioting uh, propaganda now if we look back at it. <laughs> oh, no. But it feels more today like a casual fact of life. Than like yeah, than, and less visceral than it had to have felt. It, at it the feels moment. almost wholesome, despite how often they're telling each other to shut the fuck up and uh, to get each other's moms and sisters out of their house because they're eating all their food, etc. Telling their girlfriends to shut up. Yeah, that that also was a lot. I just I, every time someone says shut the fuck up in this movie, it it, it does like my the hairs it's in the jarring. back of my neck raise. It yeah, it's all very me- real and angry. <laughs> 
when a when a white man tells a, a brown woman or a black man to shut the fuck up in any context, I get some hair raises. I mean, I guess part of it's also it's like Woody Harrelson is someone who sounds like they mean shut the fuck up when they say it. Yeah, it's weird because Woody Harrelson at this time, this is very very worth talking about. Is he's literally on Cheers like as they're filming this? Not not necessarily like I, I can't say for sure if it's like a a Back to the Future type shooting schedule where. Um, that guy was was literally going at night and filming uh, Family Matters, Family Ties, whatever the show was. Um, I just mean like Cheers is on, and uh, and this movie comes out like concurrently. Uh, so Woody Harrelson is famous for just playing a nice guy bar, a nice guy dummy bartender at this time. Um, and coming into his career later, I think of Woody Harrelson as like. A crime guy who's probably going to stab someone in the film. <laughs> I was going to say, is Cheers still going at the point when Natural Born Killers comes out? Because that's who yeah, I think of when I think of. Yeah, of, I think that uh, was Woody Harrelson. the final season or maybe like probably the summer after Cheers ends. <laughs> that's a departure. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like a like a Will Smith parallel, although not with like wildly different tones. <laughs> I was going to say like Kurt Transitioning Russell. into being a movie star very, very easily. Kurt Russell going from Disney kid to uh, Snake Plissken. Well, like Norm Macdonald once said, I realize white men can't jump, but I don't think Woody Harrelson was our best chance. <laughs> have you? Can, uh, can, have any, either... can any of us dunk? No, I yeah. most certainly cannot dunk. It is. It's. It's very sad when I realize like how. If I stretch real good, I can occasionally touch the rim. Like, that's mm-hmm. literally the limit. And it's very sad to know that if I was able to jump, like, two or three inches higher, I could dunk. Like, that consistently breaks my heart to know it's just it. out of reach, quite literally. Yeah. No, I mean... And if Gavin can't dunk... <laughs> and I and I cannot. I played two years of basketball, and I was I was very tall back in middle school when I was playing, and I still couldn't dunk. And that hasn't gotten any better. No, every, um, everything about basketball has gotten worse for me. But none of us have back. Wesley Snipes setting up an alley-oop for us. So that's, that's probably, that's probably it. I think that's, that's my excuse at least. Yeah. Uh, my excuse as we discovered when, um, uh, when we played one-on-one the other day is that Gavin is not a good enough passer for me to dunk. Wow. That's, that's what I'm going with. Okay. Or shooter or runner or dribbler. Damn. He beat me at horse three times. Well, any of you guys Jimi Hendrix fans? Who? Who's that? I haven't heard of him. Oh, you've never heard of him. <laughs> I've only listened of him. <laughs> how, how do you guys feel about that? That is also a running conversation that does bookend the movie. It's, it's an interesting thought, and I get what they're, what they're putting at, but... Um, that definitely seems like a uh, like a like a Ron Shelton line, the director of this, more than like a Wesley Snipes line. No, it's very cute. It's very very yeah. cute. And him getting pointed out that like the Jimi Hendrix experience is two thirds white yeah. people. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is a very this is a very bold claim that you're making. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's yeah. All right, I just wanted to touch on it. It's worth touching on. Have you seen um Have you seen anything else by Ron Shelton? Either of you? Yeah, Ten Cup, Bull Durham, Play It to the Bone, which also stars Woody Harrelson. Um, it's a boxing movie that's not very good, but it has like one of the best like boxing like 
filmed boxing sequences of most boxing movies. Gavin, what do all those movies have in common? I haven't seen them, I guess. Okay. Sports. <laughs> I mean, do you know enough about it? They're all sports movies. But he it, just has done a lot of sports movies that I don't think about. He also like, didn't. He also wrote Blue Chips and The Best of Times, which is an underrated Robin Williams high school football movie. Didn't know those. He's existed, done every famous sports movie you've never seen, and Bad Boys yeah, too. Apparently. Famous. Famous is stretching him. Wait, he wrote Bad Boys 2? He wrote on Bad Boys 2. Interesting. (laughs) Solid career, this Ron Shelton character. And a movie I actually do want to check out after after looking through this. There's a Ty Cobb biopic starring Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, Ty Cobb, just the angriest and racist man to ever live. (laughs) Give him a biopic for sure. Although although maybe not. uh, We've both been watching uh, Winning Time. Uh, the the Lakers show that's on HBO right now from Adam McKay and many other people who are not Adam McKay, um, and it features Jason Clark playing Jerry West, uh, famous uh, basketball legend and coach at the time, as I feel confident saying the angriest man who has ever lived. I have never seen an angrier performance in my life. He seems like he is going to have an ulcer any moment on screen. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like he's going to murder suicide the whole building for sure. Well, I will say the angry basketball scene in this movie is one of the funnest things I've ever seen. They play such an angry game of basketball. They are just yelling at each other anytime the camera's not going in slow motion. Yeah. I, I, you, you, we, we were talking about that first game where, again, like those, those characters and their relationship to each other is really built during that first game, even and then leading up through the shoot-off from the three-point line. Um, it's also the only time we ever see a five on five game. This entire movie is, is, uh, is doubles, which is real weird. And I didn't know, is that like a really common version of basketball? What you just two on two? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Is that, what's the NBA jam? Is that two on two? Three on three is probably a little more common these days. They have the big three tournament in Las Vegas every year. And I think three on three basketball was an Olympic sport. Yeah, that feels more right. I, I was I was wondering how they settled that two and two. It probably is just like, you know, again, they didn't want to have a third. I mean, two on two sounds much easier to choreograph and film. And write for. for. Sure. Uh, but I mean, but you got the I three amigos, the three musketeers. Two on two growing up, um, you know, on, on the streets. You didn't grow up on the streets. The bad, the bad, the bad streets of Alaska. Yeah, no, I grew up in the in the woods we played two on two because like i could never find more than because there weren't five people in yeah (laughs) not children (laughs) pat where where are you from originally i only play against children um i'm from louisiana originally um and much like the one of the main characters of this movie billy hoyle who it is said played some college ball in louisiana and then later on, the Stucci brothers mention a bar in New Orleans, Tipitina's. So given that New Orleans has a large Italian population due to it being a port city, i.e. a place to import olive oil, I would guess Billy Hoyle played college ball at one of the New Orleans schools, Tulane, Loyola, or UNO. And I would lean towards UNO, the privateers, based simply on Billy's class and education level. This deduction is fascinating. But he is from my home state. 
as well. Did you play? Did you play basketball growing up? I did. I loved to play basketball growing up. Probably my greatest triumph was a three-on-three tournament I played at camp one year um, with two of my friends, one of whom, and it was a co-ed tournament, so one of our, our teammates had to be a girl. So me and my, my slick, sly teammate, Willie, um, we picked the tallest girl in camp to be our teammate, and we just ran train on this tournament. We won every game and won the, the camp title, um, but it was all because we could just dump it down to the 6'5", girl on the post and she could just go up on anyone um because i'm 511 and uh my friend willie i think is maybe 61 so we just played the height advantage and took home the, the camp trophy yeah but I you mean, can that's dunk really... right no absolutely not i was i was the shooter could oh, okay, she okay. though yeah could she dunk no but she could put it up close yeah at a certain point it doesn't matter just yeah like I... dunking's for if you really want to crush your enemies yeah but who doesn't which i do yeah, exactly. Dude, I want to hear their laments. Yeah, I I played two years. Uh, I played third grade and eighth grade. I think it was a long break between, and um, I just remember getting yelled at by my coach for helping up someone I'd knocked down on the opposing team, and that really encapsulates how how I was at basketball. I was way too fucking nice. I don't yeah. understand the the idea of basketball and like defense and offense just doesn't make sense to me i get shooting i get passing but the point of like having to stop someone from running through you is where my brain just stops i completely identify with that when i was in college i played a lot of uh, a lot of basketball just like pickups on the courts um when there wasn't volleyball going on a game that i am much better at and enjoy much more and i remember distinctly um a moment where a guy like made a shot over me and uh, i like complimented him on it because it was like a really good shot and we're just playing like pickup casual and he just goes this won't translate on the podcast we just like he he just he just poofed at me (laughs) and he was just like yeah whatever like just take the compliment or don't acknowledge it but like how can you be so competitive that you get to that point when we're just like we're just dicking around it is just a game Basketball is a game, though, that I do recognize because I have tried to play basketball with people who have no no competitive point to it, and that is even worse. I would rather be crushed by someone who's super good at basketball than play against someone who just their heart isn't in it. I just don't want them to be a dick to me. Like, There's no need for that. <laughs> right. I'm just saying I'm glad that this movie wasn't a bunch of people being – this movie wasn't five of uh, you and me, Sage, being really nice to each other on the court and then <laughs> – now I feel now I feel thankful that people are telling each other to shut the fuck up and uh, etc. When was the last time you guys put up shots? Yesterday. Yesterday. <laughs> what really? That was our preparation for this movie. Yeah, we went <laughs> this out movie to, was to a was inspiring, and we were both very out of shape. And uh, any yeah. excuse to to get outside <laughs> is it's probably one how... worth taking. There, there's a lot of ways where I am much more in shape than I was in like high school or college. Like I do a, a more appropriate workout regimen. I run a lot, but like at no point in my life do I ever have to do any sort of sprinting. <laughs> like mm. when I'm running on a treadmill, I'm going like eight, eight point five or something. I'm not really getting to the panting, coughing stage. And oh, uh, you do that in ten seconds of basketball if you're actually scrambling. <laughs> do you guys remember running lines? In PE, oh yeah, on a basketball court, dear God, 
yeah, that's that seems like I would die. <laughs> I would pull my neck, collapse, and uh, no one would help me because they're all too busy doing dunks. Yeah, that reminds me. When I was I played high school basketball for a year, and I was actually kicked off the team mid-season um, for off-the-field issues. And I remember at one point, my coach was like, if you want to be back on the team, you're going to have to run laps this entire practice. So for two hours after school, the team is practicing, and I'm running laps around the basketball court, one after the other after the other. And then at the end of practice, the team has to run sprints. And I've been running for two hours straight, like, in circles. And he's like, no, you have to run these sprints too. And I start running, and my legs just collapsed. Like, they couldn't move anymore. But eventually he got over it and let me back on the team. But, yeah, sprints are no fun. It's crazy to me thinking about, like, professional basketball. Like, if you don't have – if you are at that level and you don't have, like, a career-ending injury, like, a lot of those people stay in the NBA until, like, late 30s, early 40s. And I just can't imagine that because I am am – 32 i've never been in the nba but if i was i would have retired at 25 (laughs) there was one kid on our team who was pretty short but he had like a three foot tall mohawk and i just remember they were about to start a game and the ref came and pulled him aside and made him go wash out the gel from his mohawk because it was dangerous for the other players that's all just I found it very, very funny and sad that this poor kid was not allowed to have his mohawk because he might poke someone's eye out. That's an incredible memory. <laughs> oh, Gavin, uh, by the way, I thought Rosie Perez's accent was great, as always. It, yeah, I, I I, have a heart. Because so it's, it's her accent. That's it is her talks. accent. It, it's, 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 it's loud, though, and I, I associate her as being a cop because that's what I've seen her mostly play. Are you just talking about Pineapple Express and Birds of Prey? <laughs> I uh, think of her dancing over opening credits. She also plays a undercover cop in some other things that are kind of spoilers, so I won't say them. But Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like I've, I've seen her play a kind of bad-at-her-job cop a lot. Who is you? Fair, fair was, enough. Who is y'all? I was waiting for her to be undercover on the, uh, on the Stucci Boys or whatever. So I was waiting for just more (laughs) twists in general. Like, I was viewing this as as a hustle movie, as a con movie. And I have certain expectations of that. Like, the great heist and and con movies, uh, they kind of escalate in twists. And because this movie does have a twist on a twist on a twist, like a little bit through, like where they've been hustling people and then Wesley Snipes hustles Woody Harrelson and they have to go back, I kind of expect another big twist and it does not happen (laughs) whatsoever just go back to what i was saying about like odd pacing versus my expectations from the thousands of other movies i've seen and i want to give it credit for at least going its own path but it just kind of ends up disappointing me in every category that i try to put the movie in wow okay wow strong words the movie sound harsher than it did in my head (laughs) no the movie is quite binary in that way like, you expect the escalation, but it never really happens. And it's kind of, the movie kind of plays out like Wesley Snipes' quote, you either smoke or you get smoked. And you got smoked. Sure. Like, that is that is the movie. 
in the end, oddly. And it's always also... bet on white men not jumping. <laughs> the ro- the <laughs> roller coaster is very much like this is a this is a movie about gambling addiction too, like very heavily. And it is riding, you know, Woody Harrelson's character's journey on you know, we're starting in the middle of his addiction. Like like you mentioned the seven grand debt that he's into the mob. That's because he was trying to get out of a debt that he owed the mob by throwing a game. And then his competitive spirit and inability to take any shit talking led him to not throw the game and they had to skip town. And this is a movie about him not learning his lesson until he his the bottom that he hits is getting left by Rosie Perez. Because as we learn, sometimes when you win, you really lose. God damn it. And sometimes when hate... you lose, you really win. And sometimes when hate... you win or lose, you actually tie. Oh, God. And sometimes when I you hate... tie, you actually win I or hate... lose. Winning or losing I is all so one organic mechanism from which one extracts what one needs. Uh, Was this in the movie? <laughs> yes. No, it's it's the same thing when she's like, "I'm thirsty," and he goes and gets her a glass of water. Okay, and she's there, like, what are you doing? Some, <laughs> there's some, there's some couple moments in this film I fucking hate. I too so, know she, what it's like so to be thirsty. I too. Know yeah, what it's that's like what I want. See, I was mouth. testing you, and that's a that's a totally valid thing to do in a relationship. No, that song that he sings later though makes it all good. I will never bring you water. When you're thirsting in our bed, you know why. Understand dry mouthedness, and I sympathize instead. I was trying to find out, is like, is that a song that they they had to write that for the movie? The movie didn't get reverse engineered, reverse engineered from some terrible country song, did it? It did. No, no. they wrote that no. for the movie. That's on Wikipedia. <laughs> Um, it was actually reverse engineered from the closing credits song, White Men Can't Jump. <laughs> I do miss that that period of the 90s, because I always forget it wasn't just Will Smith doing this. Other movies would also Smith. just yeah. have a rap about the title. It was mostly Will Smith, all the famous ones. No, all the Vanilla movies that Ice, have more. Partners in Crime. Every single Teenage Mutant Turtles movie has a great rap. <laughs> go, Ninja, go, Ninja, go. Before, before we jump into uh, grading this movie on a scale that we'll come up with, on the day um anybody have any quotes they want to toss out from this movie not just random ones or inspirations absolutely i mean the opening line is of this movie is kind of like a background noise as the movie's fading in where these guys are having this exchange where the first guy says don't you know i'm presbyterian and the second guy says presbyterian <laughs> that's the worst thing a jazz singer can be presbyterians <laughs> are god's frozen people is that true? That I might have missed. Opening line. I only noticed it because it was on. There's some good background lines. I had subtitles on. Really sets the tone of this movie. What was your favorite out of this Yo Mama exchange between George and Junior? There's going to be four of them. Your mother's so poor, I saw her kicking cans and I asked her what she was doing. She said, moving. Moving, yeah, that one was uh, good. Not that one because I actually grew up with like people saying that, even though I'm sure they were quoting this movie, so it just felt like a repeat of my other life. That was that was the one that too real. Me. Your mother's, yeah, gotcha. I don't know if that's a valid. <laughs> Your mother's so old; she used to drive chariots to high school. 
heard, yeah, I, heard I, that I don't one know. Too. I feel like that one that one is is fine. It's, it's okay. Here's one I don't understand. I, I think there's a scale because there's some real jebs in here, and I just think those two were fine. Yeah, here's this one I don't fully understand. Your mother's so fat when she fell over, broke her leg, and gravy poured out. But where's that? She's that. full of gravy. Okay, and then <laughs> she's a boat full of gravy. <laughs> then I told your mother to act her age, and the bitch dropped dead. Yeah, <laughs> that's very wonderful. Uh, that's that's that's, that's my pick, uh, or also the the sixty minutes one that I said at the beginning of the podcast, which I don't think is in that same exchange, but like comes up a little bit later in the movie. There's an exchange There's where series, Yo two characters say, "My mother ain't no astronaut," over and over again. That's also very amusing. Mother's an astronaut is just another way of saying that you all fucked up. <laughs> yeah, well, cool. Well, well, let's just get off mama because uh, I just got off your. <laughs> right. What is Which that? Which is never explained. <laughs> all right, I'll leave. <laughs> that reminds me of like you know. I'll keep your mama out. Let when... me know when you want to bring me to bring the bitch back. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite quote is like, "There's a lot of Sydney just berating people or just like talking up how great how great Wesley Snipes is." It says, "Man, shut your anorexic, malnutrition, tapeworm having, overdose on Dick Gregory, bohemian diet drinking ass up." I don't know what most of those words Bahamian. mean. It was it was <laughs> Baham- flow, Bahamian. Oh, okay. And then <laughs> Bahamian. Sydney has a line where he says, "You can put a cat in the oven, and but that don't make it a biscuit." <laughs> Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. I'm gonna have such a hard time selecting what quote to to put her through. It's like even the sun shines on a dog's ass. <laughs> like it said yeah. like three times. Well, it's not exactly a quote, but one of my favorite moments, which did actually stay with me, is in the end we cut after um, his past is caught up with him. We cut into uh, Billy with blood trickling out of his mouth, lying dead on the ground. Uh, we hear a Polaroid go off, and we pull back to find out that the gangsters just take Polaroids of the people they've successfully co- successfully collected money from, pretending to be dead to lend to their, um, you know, ability to control respect. <laughs> that they're just kind of fraudulent, actually kind of nice guys. They're not really, like, they still rough them up some yeah. earlier, but, you know, they're not killers, it seems like. <laughs> Uh, which is a pretty cute moment. <laughs> really picks you up after Rosie Perez leaves him for good, you know? Sure. <laughs> but yeah. Well. What'd you what'd you guys think about this movie? Sage, do you have a some sort of ruling rubric that you'd like to? Yeah, well I could posit? I could make I'll make one up as I keep talking. That's what you that yeah. All right. Um so we have a, a three tier system. Is uh is this still good? Um, wait, is this, is this regulation? That's, uh, is this better as a memory? Uh, or, um, do we, do we pick it up, throw it in a van and, uh, stick a shotgun down its pants and make really, really high stakes threats that really don't fit in the movie that we've been watching? (laughs) Fair enough. I don't know. All right. It's a pretty low stakes movie till it's not. <laughs> like, 
So is it still good? Is it better in the memory, or do we never talk it again? Is it better as a memory? Well, I'll, I'll go first. I'm going to say this is is a good movie. I I think it's better than I remembered it being. Um, I have a soft spot for movies that don't necessarily put an emphasis on plot and really do spend time with characters. And I, you know, I like me some Swanberg. I like me some Francis Ha, some of those mumblecore movies. And this kind of feels like a spiritual predecessor to those kind of smaller stakes movies that just focus on people at a time in their lives, finding out that maybe they need to change and not necessarily changing yet, but it's a movie about someone realizing that they not even have the potential to, but it's necessary for them to become someone who they haven't been for the rest of their lives. And this is a nice example of that. I still think that some of the acting, and I'm not sure if that's like budget and schedule constraints or whatever, the amount of shut the fucks up and shut the fuck ups in this movie is a little jarring. Uh, some of the acting is just a little too free ball. Um, but that's also something that's part of the charm of it. So I don't know what it would be like without it. But yeah, so I liked this movie more than I thought I would. I think I'm going to go, uh, I think I've got to go better as a memory uh, because I had fonder memories of this. Um, back back in the day when I did not understand like things like plot and story structure as well and was usually just along for the ride and how it made me feel. Uh, this movie still makes me feel good. I'm still, I'm happy I watched it. I'm very thankful we haven't done a uh, never talk of it again in quite a while on this podcast. <laughs> um, I'm very guilty of trying to put this movie in a box, but uh, to to my defense, it does have like a vaguely box shape, and uh, there's you know there's a box over here that I could I could put this movie in, and then as I'm as I'm going to put the movie in the box, like the movie kind of changes shape, but there's another box over there that's that's the shape of of the new movie and it just kind of keeps doing that to me. And I think if it was kind of like more confidently its own thing throughout, it might work. But I mean, just like having your jeopardy climax and then having another <laughs> hustle 20 minutes that don't even have Rosie Perez. Like that's just, that is just a strange thing to ask of me as a viewer to just like keep my energy through that transition. So it's, it's better as a movie. As a memory, I guess it's better as a movie. I guess it comes down to me as the tiebreaker. Um, I mean, unless you throw it all out and you say it's works. something we should never speak of again, and then it's a three-way try. I Which would be a twist. Think I'm I'm leaning closer <laughs> to Gavin's sentiments on the movie, and that it's still good. Um, I really liked that the slice of life story. I liked Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes as actors both deliver very fun performances. Like I was looking at this movie, like where did fun Wesley Snipes go after this? He pretty much just becomes to prison. a one note action movie star after he does pass. He went 57. to prison. Um, but you know, at least Woody Harrelson paid taxes for the money he got on this movie. Um, I liked that. It's very quotable. I like that. It has sort of this zest and pizzazz going not only from the dialogue to the costuming by Francine Jameson, um, it's all, all these neon outfits, you know, these fucking dynamo. The costumes are pretty great. I, I, I was a little disappointed that Wesley Snipes plays, wears the same outfit every time he plays yeah. basketball, but it's also a very charming outfit. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, Woody Harrelson looks like he's from a different planet than, yes. you know, Venice, which is very fun and works with the movie. You also like the props to the costume and you get to see a lot of Wesley Snipes side boob. Definitely high tank top yep. usage rate in this one. 
Um, and the, the the cycling cap is just an incredible move. High top 90 sneakers everywhere. Woody's parental advisory explicit concert content t-shirt. Like so many hits <laughs> yeah. by the costuming department. Um, and Legend actually has it. This is one of Stanley Kubrick's favorite movies, which is just the, great, the greatest thing ever. His daughter <laughs> released that after his death. Um, so for wow. those reasons, I'm going to say still good. And it might be up there in like the best LA movies that I've ever seen. Bold words. I I, I can't put this in the top ten like early nineties LA movies. If I'm being What's honest. what what is the Mount Rushmore of LA movies for you? You're really putting me on a spot where I don't have a list. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go. Uh, Chef. Cursed. Chef. Chinatown. Menace to Society. <laughs> White man can't jump. I was trying to put it in the 90s. Menace to Society. Actually, no, I'm out of Boys in the Hood. Because uh, Menace to Society, I don't know if we've talked about this in the podcast. I think it's by far the worst of the like LA urban crime movies in the, in the early 90s. I think there's a lot of great ones. I think Menace to Society has. Uh, we, we, it, Where's Baby Boy? It has a lead with no motivation in the guitar. Where's Sorry? Baby Boy? Where's Friday? Uh, I do not care for Baby Boy. <laughs> But that's a very interesting movie that like has value. I'm gonna put Go at the top. <laughs> Malibu's most Even wanted. A third of that is a Vegas movie. movie. Straight out of Compton, <laughs> the nice guys. I'm just, yeah. There's some hits, and I think it's among them. I yeah. mean, a lot LA of movies are made in L.A. <laughs> yeah, no, there's. Uh, it's very easy to come up with ideas on your drive home from the office. <laughs> you remember when there was 24 and most of it took place in L.A.? Like, yeah, this is the place that terrorists will attack and uh, Kiefer Sutherland can drive around to places in the 30-mile zone and uh, stop terrorists. Well, while we're speaking of ideas that, that we come up with on our way back home from work, even though none of us uh, – well, actually, I don't know about you, work. Pat, but – well, I was gonna say we don't have commutes the same. Uh, what I if do I told not have you a that daily commute? Speaking of ideas for movies, we do have the IP for this movie. We bought the rights. It's really our fiduciary interest to make this before the rights go away. Yeah, uh, we've got to make a new one. Otherwise, it goes back to I don't know who made this movie. <laughs> but yeah, so. We're reviving a canceled undercover police program from the 80s. Oh, it's not a remake, it's a reboot. You see, the guys in charge of this stuff lack creativity. What the fuck is a reboot? So all they do now is recycle shit from the past. We're working on less of a shriekle and, and more of a screamake. Expect us all not to notice. I like it. Another! Yeah, so who here's got their fresh take on White Men Can't Jump? about a fresh take i'd like to just kind of like this is one of the movies where i'm like let's do it and uh recast it uh and i'm thinking michael b jordan and miles teller amazing call i thought you were gonna say michael michael b jordan michael sarah and i was like yeah that makes sense that checks out uh yeah no uh (laughs) you can't uh you can't have the white guy have too much charisma if you're really making white men can't jump because at first i was just gonna say tom holland's i'm like tom holland could probably dunk (laughs) it just (laughs) it feels right even though in my head tom holland's like five foot three i was surprised to see a bunch of behind the scenes footage and tom holland can actually do all kinds of crazy parkour flips and shit (laughs) he can and apparently he did that in his audition he he did a side flip into the room and then was like what's up everybody it's me peter parker 
Yeah. And they're like, damn, I guess we got Peter Parker. Into your line. It's not doing a backflip and then acting. It's just like being continuously at it. It's it's a great piece of footage. I encourage everyone to look that up. Oh, um, I didn't know I didn't know it was out actually leaked into the world. But wow. I don't have I don't have casting for Rosie Perez. And we banded a little bit uh, Ariana DeBose from uh from West Side Story because uh, I would like to 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 watch her in more things. She doesn't have to go like full Perez in it, but like I would I would enjoy that. I I think you, we were talking about volleyball came up earlier. I would watch the volleyball version of this movie. Oh fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Give me give me give me give me some give me a little bit more uh you know, uh, Top Gun, Top Gun vibes. Give me some slow motion volleyball, men on the beach. I'm about it. Be a good time. White men can't spike. <laughs> no, white men can't bump. There it is. Oh man, <laughs> that, that would be it. Man, those yeah. are white men can't bump. Those are both good ones by you. I would, if I was going to reboot it, I would go for some chaotic casting. I would say Zac Efron and John David Washington as the two. <laughs> okay. That checks out. That's what I would go for. But lucky enough, there is a reboot coming for this movie. Directed that is true. supposed to be directed by Calmatic with Jack Harlow in the Woody Harrelson role. Okay. So what Yeah, that's not bad. That is not bad. And so I, I, I like... have they have they cast the Wesley Snipes? Is it still Wesley Snipes and uh, de aging? <laughs> <laughs> not yet. It's actually Al Pacino and he's been de aged. Hell yeah. Is it Jared Leto? <laughs> oh boy. Jerry Leto as the uh as the Bob brothers. Jared Leto is playing yeah, both brothers and uh and the Perez role, actually. Well what do you is Jeopardy still does Jeopardy keep going without Trebek and a different host, or do you just change it? Do they end on the Drew Barrymore show? I think it would be like American Ninja Warrior is what she's competing in. Oh my <laughs> god. Like she's fucking a freak yes. athlete and she's gotta go do this thing. <laughs> And so she's like always training that way, CrossFit oh my God. style. Like she's at the Venice Beach Muscle Beach, just cranking reps. What if like we just tie this in? Uh... So you're telling me we got to make our movie before this <laughs> one comes out, <laughs> Gavin? What are you doing this weekend? Uh, suing them about the IP infringement they're they're doing. Do you want to grab the smallest? Uh... Like non-discreet camera, you can and meet me at Venice Beach. <laughs> um, I have one last pitch. Just in, in while we were talking about this, and like you know, just out of the again, since we already have the IP for, um, oh my god, I'm blanking on that children's on this show. movie. No, on a different movie that we also do. Do we in this bit? Do we keep the IPs for everything we've ever pitched? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we just instead of like teammates on a basketball court, I think they should be teammates in a hidden temple dealing with some legends. Oh, okay. And this is this is a movie about the uh the purple parrots. Uh neither of them want to be there with each other, but yeah, they've uh and uh and um the girlfriend role is actually she's a temple guardian and it's a really con- it's a real conflict of interests. Uh it gets really intimate though when she she jumps out of the wall and tries to grab him. Anyway, well, I mean that's good synergy. Is if if uh, if the company that ends up making this, I don't know why. There's like a fifty percent chance that this movie's owned by Disney one way or the other at this point, uh, just through acquisitions. Uh, but like, no, if it does end up with with her just like I'm going to be called for the Legend of the Hidden Temple reboot any day. <laughs> yeah, 
That would be fun. Well, I think we did it. There was, oh, we there did was, it. There's, 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 we there's, did a, there's a reboot in there somewhere. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, what, what does this whole conversation make you want to watch, Gavin? Well, the other sport, the other basketball movie that like I do have fond memories of is The Sixth Man. And I bet that movie is actually pretty fun to rewatch. Because that's it. Are you guys familiar with that movie? Pat, your no, face lit up. It. Okay. It, uh, the, the Orson sixth... Welles movie, right? <laughs> it, it... <laughs> yes, correct. Uh, that was Marlon Wayans in the lead, the... directed by Orson Welles. Octavia Spencer in support. <laughs> yeah, The Sixth Man is about a uh, two brothers who play basketball. One is like a showboater, and the other is just... Was you know, dead the, the whole time. <laughs> well, and then the showboater gets in a car crash and dies. Oh. And then the younger brother is haunted by the ghost of his showboating brother as he as he plays on their team and they start losing games without their star player and the ghost finds out he can possess his little brother and play as him and it's the struggle of like individuality and like you know what does it mean to be a team etc. It's it's very charming and fun and it feels like a a better version of a lot of those like made for TV Disney movies I feel like. So that yeah. So you're, you're that, telling me there are two '90s movies with sixth in the title, where one character is dead the whole time. Yeah, I think this predates the other one. Pro- I mean, I'm gonna statistically speaking, you're probably right. I don't know when this. Who inspired thing, uh, who, man? Who inspired who? When the sixth man came out. Hmm. How about how about uh, you guys? Anything you'd recommend? I think if you want a, a mumblecore movie about uh, gambling addiction, you can check out what I think is Joe Swanberg's best film, Win It All, which is a Netflix movie that no one talks about. And just like White Men Can't Jump, that movie ends a way you don't feel like it's going to. <laughs> Win It All is okay. a good one. I like that one as well. Yeah. Um, I have a couple recommendations. Um, Please. I think this would make a one. great double feature with High Flying Bird by Steven Soderbergh came out Ooh. a couple years ago. Um, and then a fun sort of recommendation. There's a documentary. It's called the pistol shrimps that came out a few years ago as well, um, which is about Aubrey yes. Plaza starting a women's rec basketball league in Los Angeles, which is just great fun. Um, so if you're in the mood okay. for fun basketball content, that's also one of them. And then, you know, just all those, 90s sports movies that white men can't jump has the same energy as like he got game and jerry Maguire and juana man hoop dreams above the rim etc i only saw jerry Maguire for the first time uh this year and i thought it was about uh i thought it was risky business i didn't realize no. they were different movies <laughs> they are they're also like and i hadn't seen apart, either yeah. of them I just, you know, I hadn't seen either of them, so I kind of assumed, I was like, yeah, no, Jerry Maguire, it's that film about, like, kid as a prostitute ring going? This will be fun. Why not? I'm surprised they have this on an international flight, but I guess I'll no, watch it because it's not a, a kid thing next to me. Super Bowl ring. <laughs> yeah. What what'd you think of Jerry Maguire, Gavin? Oh, I had a very good time. I, there's right. so many things that I recognized for, for being referenced from it that yeah, I just that didn't Yeah, that one know. line, uh, I, the money, show me. Show me, show me that money. The money, please. Show, show me, me that money, Jerry. <laughs> you. <laughs> uh, you may or may not like High Flying Bird. It's it's very much a, a is that shot on an iPhone? Movie. It 
is, and I don't <laughs> understand why. There's other iPhone shot on iPhone movies. Even for I've, Soderbergh, what was his other one? Unsane was also on iPhone, I think. Um, there was there was another one he did that made more sense. But High Flying Bird is just like, oh, it's it's very wide, but it, like otherwise, it's a very classic traditional movie, and I don't understand this why you made this decision that really alienates me watching it. Yeah. That's part of the reason I haven't checked out a lot of his newer movies, but I, I should, you know. Oh, yeah. I know, I, I, I've got a lot of his backlog, though. I, I don't think I'm very caught up on Soder, uh, Soderbergh in general. Well, that's a hard one, because even the, when he retired for six years, he comes back with two movies a year, and half of them have always been on, like, streaming services. He has two HBO original movies, I'm assuming, because there might be more. <laughs> <laughs> I only know about, like, Behind the Candelabra and Kimmy, which are also, like, ten years apart. And Let Them All Talk, the boat movie. It's about a cruise. Oh, wow. See, I didn't even know that was him. That's right. He did an HBO and Netflix movie that came out, like, a month apart. Wow. Well, Pat, thank you for joining us. Uh, is there any, like, I know you kind of went over a couple pitches or, and uh, plugs in, earlier in the podcast, but do you want to re-shout those yeah, out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can read my writing on Ranker.com, where I write about movies and sports and cryptocurrency. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, that's free Cali Pat on Twitter. And you can follow me on Letterboxd, uh, Bilbo Ballin, where sometimes I go deep on movies, sometimes I just shit post. It's a mixed bag, but you can join my legion of followers there. Yeah. And uh, go watch music videos that I made <laughs> is my, my plug. Uh, is, there, is there a place that someone could fight it or are you just expected them to just yeah. like just do a lot of research go to gavinvmurray.com they're all up there <laughs> uh well you can pre-order my book that's finally a thing oh shit no it's not i have not finished my book yet <laughs> i mean they don't need to know that take the pre-orders later. take the pre-orders <laughs> <laughs> sure i mean that would uh, the the external motive the old external pressure would probably motivate me to to finish i've only got a couple chapters left i mean money is a good motivator we just watched a whole movie about that so <laughs> that's true well we'll see you next time uh probably not you pat uh on <laughs> wow. well on episode 50 maybe we'll do maybe we'll do something special for it uh maybe you'll be disappointed those are the options <laughs> Maybe we'll do something special and you'll be disappointed. But please come back anyway. We love you. It sounded so intimate. Do you really love me? <laughs> not, uh, not you, Pat. Well, thanks for having me. Yo, what up, you What's up, baby? Let's kick it